Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black history, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Welcome back, everyone. And as always, thank you again for tuning in to another episode. I am back with another Black Fashion History installment for you in today's episode. And I'm hoping that you're going to learn something new. You all know this podcast prides itself in telling the stories of all of the wonderful and amazing black creatives and figures that work in the fashion industry. And today's interview is going to be no different. I love to think of black fashion history as like a safe space and kind of like an unsung where people can share their stories and share the work that they've done in the industry that hasn't necessarily been highlighted over the years, or maybe they have been highlighted and people may have forgotten about them. But this is the place where they can really, really get their thoughts and their work out to the world. So for today's episodes, this was the safe space for designer Audrey Weaver. We really dive into how she got started in her career and some of the amazing things that she has done over the years. And for those of you who are unaware, Audrey Weaver is a designer that creates handcrafted artisan scarves and hats and accessories, as well as a tailor to some of your favorite celebrities. Over the years, she has been featured in publications like the New York Times, Essence Magazines, Glamour, Women's Wear Daily, and even on the Oprah Winfrey Show for her amazing designs. She's also worked behind the scenes on many fashion shows and television shows like America's Got Talent, as well as having her hats featured on the TLC biopic, you know, the one that was on VH1. And I'm excited to share her career and story with you all. Now let's get into it. I know that you are a designer, but how would you describe yourself as far as your work and career in fashion? Well, I'm a creative. Okay. I'm a designer. And I started, just to go back, I started when I was a little girl. I had a Barbie doll. <laughs> Barbie's very popular now. And I I designed her clothes with um, toilet paper. Oh. In those days, they had toilet paper, had little flowers on it, and mm-hmm. little, you know, things like that. And they, then a, year, a few years later, they said that wasn't sanitary. And then it just decided to become, um, you know, uh, plain. And then they would have toilet paper and powder blue and yellow and stuff. So I don't know. I was just wrapping around. And, mm-hmm. and I loved watching Carol Burnett and Cher. And they had those beautiful dresses on. So I was in my head doing the same thing. Um, fast forward, my mom, I had an older sister that was eight years older than me. So I was like, I don't know, sitting on the floor, wrapping the Bobby dolls. And my mother would pay for the teacher to come and help my sister. So, and... I never forget she cut the nap on the a corduroy and she cut the jacket, the jumper in the wrong direction. Nap with corduroy and velvet. If you swipe it one way, it has a nap. And if you don't cut it correctly, your garment will be shaded. It all has to be cut the same direction. Mm-hmm. I learned that. <laughs> that day. My sister was crying. My mother was saying, but I want my daughter to go to college and I want you to do this and that. And my sister's fussing. I don't want to do this. And I said, don't worry, mommy. I'm going to go to college for you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And that teacher said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm making my dolls. I'm making. She said, so you want to be a designer. So that were you at that time? Probably six. Okay. Okay. Five, six. Six and so I was still playing on the floor, and that's why I learned the word designer, because mm. I live in a little rural, rural town, and I didn't know. So then, as the years went by, what do you want to be? I want to be a designer. So at nine years old, I took sewing classes with 4-H clubs, and I I was in competitions and all kinds of things on local and regional um, situations. 
Mm-hmm. And I get my little name in the paper and stuff like that um, because I would be one of the runners up. So that's how I became started thinking I was going to be a designer. I graduated. I went to as I was growing up, I was in a rural town. You had to drive everywhere. Um, I Where did you grow up? Madison, Virginia. Oh, Okay. I've never is, heard of Madison, Virginia. Well, uh, Madison is becoming to be on the map. Okay, I have, to, I I have to look it up. Well, Madison has been on the map, map lately. Politically, I mean, they've banned a lot of books. I was looking at the view one day and they mentioned Madison, Virginia. I grew, I was born, the main hospital is Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. So you know what Charlottesville? Yes, so I do know Charlottesville. This whole climate has put Charlottesville and Madison on the map, and you know we weren't used to that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But so that because Charlottesville is like twenty miles away, and that's where you would go to grocery shopping, or if you needed some serious hospitalization or to doctors and that type of thing. So I grew up. Like that, just two two girls. I didn't have any brothers. And I was, my sister's eight years older than me. So I was by myself and I did mm-hmm. a lot of imagination. I always did art. I My mom would take me to the hairdressers and her, her hairdresser would be somebody's house. And you look out the window and it was a farm and a cow. So I'm drawing the cow. Um, and then my mother gave me uh, art art set so I was painting with oil I was painting with watercolor but I couldn't do it in the house because she couldn't stand the smell of it so I'd be in the backyard and when she went to church on Sundays if I didn't have to if I didn't have to go then I could pull my oil paints out because then I didn't have to worry about it and from nine years old I was doing 4-H clubs art and sewing art and sewing when I got to be about 14, I was a junior leader, a junior 4-H leader. Mm-hmm. I, me and another guy, Walter, ran an after-school program at the Woman Mall building for sewing and art. <laughs> so I, you know, I didn't know because I wanted to do something. And then after that, I wanted a job mm-hmm. and there was nowhere to work. Were you thinking about it, art and design and sewing, as like a career at that time? Yeah, that's or... what I'm going to do when I grow okay. up. But nobody was telling me how to put it together. Okay, right. So I wanted a job. And what I did was I put an ad in it. We had a weekly paper. I put an mm-hmm. ad in the paper. I'll do alterations. <laughs> I know what I was doing. <laughs> and then all these people, all these old white people, they would call. <laughs> My mother would drop me off or they would stop by. I was pinned. They'd have, there were these crazy sisters. They'd had really big breasts and they'd have me fixing their bras or they'd have me make uh, uh, these little polyester jumpsuits. This, this lady, Miss, um, Miss, Miss um, Marshall, she, I was making clothes for all the time. And she said, Audrey, what are you going to do when you finish school? I guess I, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to be a designer. <laughs> she goes, you got to get an education. <laughs> so she convinced me, and she had a, um, a goddaughter. And I wanted to go to VCU, Virginia Commonwealth, but my mother was like, no, that's Richmond, Virginia. That's too wild. That's too crazy. (laughs) So I ended up at Radford College. At that time, it was Radford College. Now it's Radford University. Mm -hmm. And I have a a bachelor's degree in fashion. From Radford. From Radford. Okay. R-A-D-F-O-R-D. From Radford, Radford, Virginia. And... I was pretty active through college. I even have some things of fashion shows. I started the Black History Month and I 
had my gowns and I commentated the fashion show and I got the students together mm-hmm. and it was, I've got, I found the paper and, and, mm-hmm. and the paper did it. The local newspaper did an article on um, the event. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm fast forwarding and now I'm like maybe what, 19, 20 and I'm at Radford. And um, I was one of, I stood out in my courses because the first year I went there, it had gone, it was a private girls' school. But because they took state funding, then it became a um, public. So they had to let blacks in, they mm-hmm. had to let guys in. And it was 3% of us, <laughs> of the Blacks. So, but I spent my four years there. It was nice. By my junior year, I was Miss Apple Blossom, the school, you okay. know. And I went to Winchester, Virginia. Lori Boone was the queen of my court. A uh, uh, princess, um, Elizabeth Taylor, was the queen of the court. Lori Boone was the princess. And we were her coronation princess, and we wore these big old Southern Belle dresses. And it was quite an event. I mean, I'm really dating myself. Um, no, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Um, Leroy, uh, what was the fighter? Um, Leonard? Lin- um, don't ask the welter- me. Don't the welterweight <laughs> champion. How come I can't say it? The welterweight champion. Um, Leroy. Oh my God, I can't believe it. It was him. I don't know. I I know you probably don't know who Pat Boone is. You probably I don't do know. actually do know who Pat Boone is. And Lori Boone, name. his daughter, was my was the princess. Uh, and actually, Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard. That's what okay. I'm trying to say. Um, the uh, and the original. Colonel Sanders. Yeah, I'm dating myself. What? <laughs> that old man looked at me so weird because I was very outspoken. It was three of us of color. Mm-hmm. It was Miss Howard, myself, and a local um, uh, print, uh, a local high school prom queen, something like that. And um, the ROTCs were our um, escorts. Mm-hmm. I we, They had nice cocktail parties and stuff like that. And I was a little bit of a rebel. But then I had these fancy, sexy dresses that I had designed. You know, I was mimicking Cher, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and, and Carol Burnett. So um I was a little bit of a rebel in the sense that they said, we have to go into the town and find a black guy to escort you. And I'm like, uh-uh, oh. I got to have an OTC guy. My escort has got to be a, a, unif- a uniform guy. I didn't, I didn't know, but I just, they had, they did things so old South. They had a black man standing there with her. Uh, 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 a towel on his arm, put the, and I complained. I didn't know I was messing with the man's job, <laughs> but I was telling him, "You got to treat black people different." This mm-hmm. I I didn't realize how old South, even though uh-huh. I was in Virginia, I was in Westchester. But anyway, I had a good time, and I got my way. All the other people thought I was a probably a B, but. I'm not like that now, but because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> well, no, you wanted to make sure that, you know, you were treated like everybody else. And so I don't right. think that was necessarily a bad thing. I guess you just didn't realize, you know, how disruptive <laughs> you right. were at the time. And then I heard, you know, like growing up beauty pageants or I get it was kind of pageant pageantly like they put us on a bus and we were uh be transported to different things mm-hmm. and i guess i stayed there about three or four days and uh my father had dropped me off and 
then they had escorts, uh, not escorts, chaperones. So there were three people to a room in my room. Of course, the two white girls wanted to sleep together. I didn't care. I had a bed to myself. Oh, they had. Okay. I thought they would put the three black girls together because you said it was three of you, right? Yeah, but we were all from all over the state. Of oh, Virginia. okay. Got it. Yeah. So I was college. So I don't know where the, the, I was college. Miss Howard, I, yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah. But they probably said, get her away from us. <laughs> <laughs> and, I had a good time and I just couldn't wait to get back to school to do my work. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of things in college. I did the fashion show. We'd have our school fashion show. Plus I did the black, um, the black history fashion show. I, the media department helped me get, um, uh, back then it was slides and I paid homage to, Willie Smith, John Higgins, and oh God, gosh, gosh, it was four designers. Oh, um, Stephen Barrows, and I can't think of the other person. Stephen Barrows, I happen to be friends with his roommate. I see him in the flesh. Oh, wow. Okay, periodically. Unfortunately, I I don't want to say that I, I had the misfortune of being able to attend John Hagen's, uh memorial. Two yes, months I, ago. he just passed away not too long ago. Two months ago. And I'd met him about a month and a half before that at a, a, a celebration for Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. And I'd also gone to an event and I took pictures. And I DM'd him to him. And he says, oh, you got to come. He he was also a, a, a author. He said, you got to come to my next book signing. I'm having one next month. And I never made it. He didn't have that book signing because he didn't make it. Yeah. A sim- I have a similar story. I wanted to interview him for the podcast. And so I had tracked him down and like became Facebook friends with him and I sent him a message and he was so gracious. He gave me his number. He's like, give me a call and, you know, we'll set up the interview. And then we were never able to move forward with the interview because he did pass away. But definitely seemed like, like I said, in my interaction, very gracious. And I was so excited to speak with him. And I hate that I didn't get that opportunity. So that's why I try to like move very quickly (laughs) and speak to people as quickly as I can. I didn't realize well, you know, he went from fashion to writing about travel. Yes. And I learned, I didn't know he also critiqued restaurants. And um, he wrote for some of the local papers in New York, uh, reviews for restaurants, reviews for dishes, let alone um, um, the things that he did um, overseas. He had so many fans he was a very animated man and i didn't know how much animated based on the testimonials that people you know said so anyway it's so interesting that in college you know you did a fashion show kind of paying homage to you know these designers and then you get to a space in life where you know you're actually they're actually in your friend circle (laughs) how yeah How was that experience for you? Did you ever imagine that would happen? Well, I'll tell you, I got to take a step back. I was the only black in my high in my college and Mm -hmm. I would get nice grades and stuff. And I feel like I wish there were some things if I could go back and tell myself, I would have done it differently. But I was shy and little country girl didn't know what I was doing. So there was this mother and father that would come every little fashion thing we did they would come from new york down to virginia to see their dear daughter claire claire was so into her boyfriend so she said why can't you talk to claire maybe claire could get in the fashion like they really claire just wanted cane that's all she wanted 
So she said, well, what are you going to do when you finish school? I'm going to move to New York and be a designer. So she said, well, how are you going to do that? Don't you have parents or people or family? No, I'll move to New York and live in Hawaii. <laughs> she said, <laughs> that's how naive I was. She said, you can't do that. She said, yes, I can because the Hawaii is there. And then they, at, at that time, they had something called the Barbizon Hotel for Women. Oh, okay. And which was a couple of blocks from Bloomingdale's. So mama wasn't going to give me any money to leave, to go to uh, college. But luckily, when I started my little business, when I was like 13, 14 of doing um, um, things, I was making jumpsuits for $15. Mm -hmm. And like the alterations and stuff. Yeah, the alterations. <laughs> and I cut. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I cut and made patterns. So I didn't make patterns. I sewed Simplicity McCall patterns. But then I wanted to design. So I'd put different pieces, a sleeve from McCall's, the, uh, a bottom from Simplicity. And then I'd come up with my de my design that way. I'm, 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 that's in my still high school. And then when I, my first real, real job, other than working at the Humpburger, which was slinging hamburgers, I saw in the paper that Tillman's department store needed an alteration specialist. So I quit that job and I was, go in the summer, I was going, catch carpooling with the adult ladies that went to regular jobs so I could work in Tillman's department store, which was one of the better stores that they had in that town. Now I'm I'm 15 and eight months because I had to have I was I was 16 because you had to have a workers permit. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, dresses for a hundred and some dollars that was a lot then. And back That's a lot now. <laughs> they had dresses that were Bill Blass, you know, designer kind of things. Uh Vontanak, a lot of place people are no longer. And then dresses had like two inch seams or inch and a half seam, couture rich. So there was this older black lady, Miss Bias. I cut my teeth on Miss Bias. She taught me how to, 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 okay, we take out half of the garment, we leave the other half in, and I learned to be alteration person. I worked in silks, I worked in linens, I worked all over the place, and that's how I was able to perfect my sewing and get better. Fast forward, and I guess that's another reason why I was in college that anything they threw at me, I wasn't just following the Miss Simplicity or Miss um, yeah. McCall's pattern. Um, I was making uh, my things. Had a lovely, my teacher, Dr. Gard, she even had us to make our own mannequin based on our bodies. I mean, we stuffed it, we took water, we shrunk it. I have learned to make pretty much anything mm -hmm. based on my um, background. And uh, when I moved here, the lady said, the, the, the parent of Claire's mom said, if you're serious about coming to New York, you can stay with us until you figure out what you're going to do. Well, that's I said, don't you play with me. <laughs> <laughs> I will be there. P.S. Mama was, my mother was like, no, we ain't giving you no money so you can go and be wild. And I didn't care. I had a plan. I saved every little $5. To, I wish I was like that now. I saved every little $5, every little $15 from the time I was about 13, 14. And when I was trying to go to college, all the white girls, well, I'm going here, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I was a cheerleader and a majorette in school. 
And I said, who going to pay for this? I didn't know. Back then, my first quarter cost about $600. I had it. <laughs> I had for the second. I had for the third. <laughs> and we had our little Christmas club. And every little birthday $5 bill or $3, I stuck it in the drawer. I stuck it in the I wish mm -hmm. I had it. I didn't do that now. You know, I stuck it in the drawer. And they said, you're going to college? Yeah, I'm going to college. How? Going to college. I didn't know. And it, I embarrassed my mother into going to college. And Miss, um, actually her name was Miss, not Miss Marsh, Miss Stewart. She was a prominent lady. She was a prominent um, figure in the community. And she talked to my mom. You got to let her go to school. Now, they didn't hand her any money. Yeah. But my father ended up helping me. And this, by the second, I said, well, you know, I need some money. I didn't know. Back then, it was affirmative action was different. It was easier to get loans and grants and not grants, but loans. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know my father was paying for it. I was on a work-study program. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Me and some lady, some girls would walk across campus and would go to the um, cafeteria and scrape dishes. Yeah, so you really worked your way to, <laughs> you know, going through college and becoming a designer. I've had my moments. Mm -hmm. I have not reached to the capacity that some people have, like, you know, like a Stephen Barrows or Brian Laws. But I am a member of a design group called Black Design Collective. And I'm some of the, well, like Brian Laws is in my group. When, when it started in COVID, I could go and be on Zoom when um, Ruth Hunt, not Ruth Carter, when Ruth uh -huh. Carter got her star, we had, I was part of the little party that she, we, everybody was in COVID, I was part <laughs> of the little party that she had in her apartment with some of the celebs that were there. So, yeah, I've breathed their air and you know, they're not like, hey, Audrey, what's doing? Can we have dinner tonight? But I've been able to do quite a few things just by the Lord just been looking out for me. Not a lot of strings. So you had pretty much been designing since you were five. How did you get into designing scarves? That's funny. I I I worked in the industry. Now, mm -hmm. when I came here, I worked for the industry. It, it was very fickle. Wasn't that easy? Racist. You know, the I was a little naive black girl. The, no, I was, if if I made a mistake, I was a stupid black girl. The white girls, they were a little naive. You know, that it was always that. But I didn't care. I held my ground. And I was still working in the industry up until COVID. So I wanted, I've always been doing this entrepreneurial stuff, but I'm not a good entrepreneur. I, I have a good idea. I follow through. But the business part, I'm a little shaky on that. I'm not crunching all the numbers and doing everything right. But um, I'm getting to the point. I was looking through Women's Wear Daily one day. And I was like, I, I want to. I don't like these ads. I want to mm -hmm. do something. So I also was working a freelance job with this lady named Sybil Wyman. She's since deceased. And she was doing backstage, a white lady who was doing backstage production before Audrey Smart started. And so I was like, we were running to get stockings or whatever. I got to work with the top models, Alva Chen and all these different people, which I got to meet Alva Chen at John Hagen's memorial. Mm -hmm. And Pat Cleveland, all of them. I was in and on all these women in their heyday. But I'm schlepping bags and helping them get dressed and doing. So Sybil, her, she had a client, Andrew Geller Shoes. And I know you've heard of Donald Pliner Shoes. Well, he was an employee then. Mm -hmm. And 
I, and back then, I don't know what they do now. They used dancers that were size six. And then they would, uh, all the people were sitting very close to the models. And then they would point out their shoes. But Sybil wanted outfits to go with them. So she asked me to do it. And I had real wool. And then I made things. And she was like, no, this got to look like it came from uh, Lord and Taylor's or blah, blah, blah. She helped me perfect what I did. I remember, I, I don't even have, I'll send that to you one day. Um, I did these belts. I took them to the belt guy. I didn't know. And the belt was self-fabric with grommets and everything, just like you would buy a belt. So I was looking at ads and Sybil told me, you want to start doing some work? Call these people up, make a notebook. I don't do these things now, but I should make a notebook and say you want to talk to who's over in charge of merchandising or whatever, uh, advertising, and say you want to help them with their ads. I said, what do you want? I said, well, I want to make your clothes look, your fab. You're, you're, you're promoting corduroy, but I want to make that your denim look better. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought that would be my way to get, but they didn't give me credit. So I started mm. doing the ads. Chrome Mills was just doing corduroy for little rompers for boys. and I did punk rock jackets. I still have those sheets. I did, um, they started giving me tear sheets. My first project was she gave me corduroy and said, we want to do something with this corduroy. Pinwell, other than uh, just for little boys, rompers and jumpsuits. I made a, and she gave me this little girl's pattern. I made, not only did I make the little girl's pattern, I had this cotton lace. I the, the, the dress stood up on its own. I had the crinoline underneath it. When I walked in with the dress, they couldn't believe what I had did to corduroy. I treated corduroy like I would as if it were a little satin party dress. They flipped out. And then they used to have these little um, seminars for designers and product managers to push to them to tell them what we want you to do, ideas for what you could do with your fabrics. And then they even put a little boy in a suit, in a um, tuxedo. And she was the start, she was the um, the start of the, uh, the, they were the star. So from Cone Mills, then Burlington, Wamsutta, uh, Wamsutta, um, so many people started, it was a quiet secret, but I was doing the, the the stretch leggings when it first came out, the denim ones. I did those. Did them right in my little apartment. I found a couple of little people who, who knew a guy who knew how to sew, and he had a heavier hand. Uh, and we just did all these different types of things. So I got this idea that maybe... One of these companies would let me go to Europe and bring back some ideas. And that's where I got the ideas for the scarves. I decided to take a trip to Italy. And I went to Italy and everything was so beautiful. Who did you get a company to send you to Italy? Or they did gave you are me your... kittens, but I also <laughs> went on my own. I had a, 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 a guy friend and we took off to Italy and he went to do his thing and I did my thing. And I was wandering around. I got lost in Rome one night. And I said, these sweaters are beautiful. These dresses are beautiful. Everything's beautiful. Nobody's got, they, they got the skinny on everything but scarves. So when I get back to the States, I'm going to design me a, a line of scarves that's going to be fashionable like the Italians do with all the stuff they do. And that's how the scarves were born. I came back. 
I made the scarves didn't look anything like that. I had scarves with pockets in them. They were wool. They were heavy. I put little, I went downtown to the uh, uh, leather place. I bought scraps of leather. And I was always doing a little freelance job. I went to this woman, uh, Marsha Makins, and she said, if you work for me over at the Coliseum, she was being cheap. If you work for me, I'll let you show these scarves. Just put them up. She thought she was humoring me and she was getting some free work. Oh, I was selling to, you know, the Bloomingdale's buyers, the iMagnet, her stuff. They looked at those scarves. I got orders. <laughs> My first department store orders. That's how I got into the scarves. So I read a New York Times article about you in the, it might have been like 1990. Uh, I know. I was, I pulled some stuff. But in that article, they. Um, was it? Yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it named you a style maker. And then it talked about you designing scarves and that pretty much being, you know, what you were known for at the time. And then Oprah also appearing in some of your scarves. So can you talk to me a little bit about like that moment or your time, like in the nineties, when you really got into like designing the scarves and being known as the scarf designer, as well as like, you know, your phrase scarf dressing, how that came about. And then we can kind of talk a little bit about like, how we got to the Oprah piece. I saw one of those pictures with Oprah. I don't know if I can <laughs> find it. Well, I went to Chicago. I did a Trump show in Chicago. At one point, and I don't know how I did this. It was just me. I did, I was teaching part-time. And now mm -hmm. I'm a substitute teacher in the school system in New York. And I was always trying to figure out how to keep my rent going. <laughs> my rent in my apartment and the rent, you know, with the studio. But doing the scarves got me up, got allowed me to afford a studio. Um, not that I seek for one. So I went to Chicago. I met a lady. I, I was at her. I did two trunk shows at a couple of boutiques. And Oprah's makeup hair person came mm -hmm. he invited us down i know i just saw that he invited us down for me to just be a little bit to present oprah scarves on the show it was way back when she was still heavy and everything and i just saw that picture and that's how that worked but originally i met oprah at nick and valerie simpson's restaurant I had my little waffles and back in those days, I'm not a drinker, but I just, I guess from going to the Apple Blossom and they had all these fancy events, I like going out and <laughs> trying to do stuff and sport my clothes. And I know how to do clothes, but people just think I know how to make a scarf. And um, Oprah and what's her good friend? The man that's the producer. Uh, I'm not sure. Her good friend. Um, he's a star maker. Uh, God, how come I can't think of his name? Anyway, him and her were having, <laughs> they were having dinner. And I had the nerve to give the waiter a note to give to Oprah. <laughs> I'm not that bold anymore. <laughs> but that's a good kind of bold. That's so how you make things happen. I think they let me come. I can't. Th you know exactly. The man is like the Grammy guy and everything. You know who I'm talking about. I just can't think of his name. I'll try to look it up while you're telling the story. I'll anyway, see if I can find so them. they were nice about it. I think she told me to contact her person or whatever. But they that was here in New York. And then I don't know, six months later or something, I got to go to Chicago. And I said, Mama, I'm going to be on Oprah. Girl, I got time for your stuff. <laughs> it was at the end. It was such a little thing. My cousin said, how are you in Chicago? 
that's how that happened. And I gave her scarves. So were you excited? And well, obviously you were excited, but did you see a significant takeoff in your business after that moment? Or I didn't have a marketing person. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yes, stores started calling me. I got uh, how I ended up with a sales rep. I made, I, I, I would, um, Sybil Wyman said, take your stuff to magazines. I started taking my stuff to magazines. I think I got like something here. It's old. And this is like a sheet from Cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. This is one of my scarves that was as a bandeau, but my, I had scarves that you could, they were interchangeable. Mm -hmm. A scarf that you could use as a head wrap. And this is, then I had, this was a shaped scarf as a sarong. I did little fashion shows as, and I called it scarf dressing. And scarf dressing is how scarves work throughout your lifestyle. I, when I first, I, I lightened up the scarf from when I first did my I Magnum order from that time that the ladies, that Marsha said, oh, you can do it. I sold the scarves to I Magnum, Bullocks, and some other places. But then I, I, uh, let me see, do I have it over here? Oh, here's more. And then all these magazines started calling me, and that magazine stores, and I started getting free editorial. And then I started going to um, a couple of little restaurants in the area. And I did fashion show brunches. I mean, scarf dressing brunches. How did scarf dressing brunches go? Like, wh what was the setup? I don't know what I was doing, but I would <laughs> ask the man, could I? I remember this one place I used quite a bit. And I was like, can you make up a menu? Back then, you could get a menu made for $8 or something like that. And I invite people. And I had scarves. I think I borrowed some people's clothes or I didn't have time to make. But how scarves would work throughout your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Then people would ask me. I did uh, doctor's groups, women's groups. And I would stand there and talk about, you got to make a scarf your best friend. So on your way to work is Misty. And you put a scarf on your head. You know, back then people dressed a lot. And to help protect you from the elements. You get to work. You take that scarf. It's a little chilly. And you put it around your uh, suit. And it keeps you warm. From, it, it protects you from your the air conditioner coming over you. I also had ways to tie the scarves. You could tie it, wear it as a jacket. You could take a scarf. You could tie it in such a way and wear it as a blouse under your suit jacket. Mm -hmm. um, then I talk about how certain dynamic scarves you could, while you're doing your business presentation, the scarf could work in front of at the board meeting. And then on Friday afternoon, you catch a quick flight to the Caribbean and you have your scarf wrapped around you in, in the plane and it starts getting hot and you head to the beach. And I had scarves that worked as sarongs. You could wear the sarong above your breast. You could tie it in half and wear it as a skirt. You put on a little pair of short uh, spandex shorts and you had a skirt. That was my uniform for a long time. I would just wear a little tank top and I wore a scarf as a skirt. And I mean, that was skinnier days. And then I would go around and do I'd be the circ I'd go to the circuit I did Essence Festival um the law convention this the 
medical conventions. And I was always standing there showing everybody how to do these, the scar. And when I got a little heavier and went to Essence, I hired a couple of little skinny girls to do it for me. <laughs> so that's what scarf dressing was about. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and kind of go back to some things you mentioned until she talked about how you worked with Sybil a lot and that kind of helped you in terms of being able to design for some of these advertisements. Are there any other notable people in your life that you say help push you throughout your career? Okay. Audrey Smoltz. I got the opportunity. I I worked uh, backstage. I've always done these little part-time. I'm a real backstage person. I have worked New York Fashion Runway. Uh, I have been an on-set tailor for NYU. Uh, um, New York Fashion Week. Mm -hmm. I've been an on-set tailor for uh, Nick Cannon. America's Got Talent and Wilding Out. I've helped. I made his his um, turbans, uh-huh. all of his clothes. I've done a lot of celebrity stylist things. One of the big things that I could say, Audrey Smaltz sent me down to, well, actually, Audrey Smaltz sent me down to D.C. I worked on, it was oh, the play, uh, oh, the African play. Gosh. Um, they had sent the costumes to um, Legos. How come I can't think of that play? As a and play, was, yeah, on Broadway, was, yeah. Um, and I did a few outfits for the was BET the, Awards. Was it the Fela Broadway Fela, show? Fela, okay, yes. yeah, Fela. <laughs> oh my God, Fela. So. Uh, luckily, they were doing something, and at during that time, I had a nice love of my life at the time, but that's no more. And I had a studio in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. so the face uh, have uh, four of the failure dancers came over, fit me in, and I fit them in the studio. And I thought I had, you know, weeks, but it didn't. And back then, you couldn't just buy the dashiki. I made dashikis. I made dashikis for. Well, the BET Awards was to honor Iman. Mm-hmm. So the Fela dances, that was that segment. Then there were kids from Jersey. I can't believe that I can't remember her name. Sissy, not Sissy. Um, Miss Jean Pickman. Miss Jean Pittman. Oh, Cicely Tyson. Cicely Tyson, and she yes. goes, she went to my church. So Cicely Tyson had school, and she said, if y'all going to honor me, my students got to be a part of it. <laughs> so they commissioned me to do the, um, I did African dashikis for the Cicely Tyson choir mm-hmm. with J. Crew, uh, J. Crew, uh, uh, the, the band that was big on for the Apollo, uh, J. and the crew. You know that band that I'm talking about. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I don't know their name, but I know what you're talking but about. But you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. We had a sound check practicing with that. I got pictures of all this stuff and I can't believe it. So I was down in D.C. and we were so busy. I called my girlfriend. I took a girlfriend with me I, who was another seamstress. And I took my best girlfriend. She came with her sewing machine. And we were busy, busy backstage. We saw Jamie Foxx and all of them going through. And we were outfitting those kids and making everything work. Because what I thought was three weeks was really like a week and a half. And it was crazy. But I got it done. Got it done. So Audrey has been a wonderful inspiration. Uh, I got an opportunity to. There was Audrey Smaltz on a panel during Mother uh, during um, Women's History Month. There was um, another woman who got me into teaching, Gladys James, and they were all being honored by the NAACP, and it was wonderful that I could stand up and 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 say thank you you know and and they knew 
who I was, and uh, Norma Jean Darden, who is the owner of Spoon Bread Restaurant. I've, she was also a model and very close to John Haggins. Yes, Ira, I knew she was a model. I didn't realize she owned a restaurant. Oh, yeah, Spoon Bread. Come to New York, eat your spoon bread. And uh, I remember that years ago, they did a years ago, she did a play with her sister, and I think she has a cookbook. And I'm trying to think another person that was Gladys James. And I'd be remiss. I got a picture of that too, and I can't remember. I got to work, I got to start taking Brabagin. Um, I that was great. Um, it was just good to see these people that have Mm -hmm. that I was on a little girl I was in college looking at these people and got the opportunity to meet them and um and they know my name (laughs) and another thing I wanted to say that I got an opportunity to do and then I started people were like scarves were kind of and then I I made myself a hat and people like this hat. And I call it the Audrey hat. Oh, I didn't bring the hats out. And it was this peak. And I started, oh, here it is. Here's a little piece of it. I don't know if you can see this. That's it. Oh, yeah, I can see that. And it has a little peak. I see and that it was, I also see who? that it says it was on the TLC story. Can you believe that? <laughs> It was on the T. Yeah. Oh, are you just reading this or did you? Yeah, I was reading it. (laughs) Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, This was on the TL. I posted this years ago. There was an original movie. Then this was from the biopic for originally Showtime. Now they they you see it on TV. A couple of. uh, You know, it might be on. Ion or any of them that they are just. You know, they show it every every other month or so you see it. So all of these things I did now. And that was a fluke. I used to have little shows like a little, you know, make my things and then people come. And this this sister, uh, Darlene Jackson, who was a uh, wardrobe uh, supervisor. And she I had a rain hat. And she picked up, she said, well, we need somebody to make these hats. But what happened is, I should, maybe I shouldn't say it. They, they wanted the original designer to do it, and she did it. But for some reason, it didn't, they didn't come out right, and they were scrambling. And she called me from Atlanta and said, can you do that hat? Sure. And I wasn't, like I did with the corduroy, I didn't do the one hat that they asked for. I had this fabric. I did it in green. I did it in red. I did it in white and all those different colors. And they used them. I was so shocked. I didn't even have Showtime at the time. They used them throughout the movie. The Mm -hmm. only, uh, and I even did this little, this little baseball cap thing. So the other the movie, all the hats that they had, they had like a little, all the little baseball, most of the basic Kango or whatever hats they had, that was that. But the bulk of the hats were Audrey's hats. Nobody really knew it, but I made those hats. But they'll know it now. <laughs> <laughs> I made those hats. And this was Left Eyes. I had to do this like three times. This was Left Eyes hat when she made that announcement that they were broke. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, yes. that was that was an iconic moment in real life and definitely in the movie. So the hat got a lot of screen time. Yes, yes. But that was the biopic, not the original yeah. that yes. So that was a cool that I actually um I enjoyed doing. So like I said, I have made just about everything, including bar uh um uh, my ex was part of a bar and I even made the covers for the sofa, you know, in vinyl. I I can cover chairs, not that I want to, but through because I have sewed so much. Mm-hmm. And those old ladies that used to have those big bras and they'd have me to alter them, <laughs> they saved me. You never knew that 30 years later or 25 years later, 
that would come in handy. My other part of my career that you may not know about is that um, I've worked as a technical designer. So I I did not know that. So I work for manufacturers and, you know, designers, they hire you unless you figure out how to get backing and all of that. But just they give you a good salary. They're through with you in three to four months. If you get to stay somewhere for a year, you're doing good. Then they created this job called technical designer. And I know my I can fit. I know my measurements back to Miss Byer was Byer when she, when I was fifteen, and she was showing me how to take those designer clothes and fit them. Because the white ladies used to come in, they were really a sixteen, but they would buy a ten dress. So when they had that extra three or four inches on each seam, we took them out, and she could say, "I'm wearing a 10. <laughs> they don't make dresses. The three, four thousand dollar dresses, maybe they do, but I don't think so because I work with Nick Cannon and he had every designer, um, Louis Vuitton, you name it, they don't they don't do that anymore. I and I I worked with Heidi Klum and Mel B and um the funny guy, and I can't think of his name. Um he's on America's Got Talent, he's still on um Howie, Howie Mandap. Okay. Uh, alter- yeah. Did all of their bodies. <laughs> so, but technically, I worked my last, well, not my last, but one of my major jobs was I worked with Associated Merchandising Corporation. Target Corporation bought it. I was in charge of the sweater department for technical design. They sent me to China and Taiwan and the factories to discuss the production and to get the to get perfection. I don't know what they do now, but back then, mainly once we got it right, the staff would leave. The young people there, they work three to five years and then they leave. So you mentioned something a few times as we've been talking. You said a couple of times you said like you didn't get the credit for some of the work that you did. Is that something that you would say is a huge problem with the industry over the years that you've been working? Or do you see that more as a result of the different roles that you have, that those particular roles don't usually get credit for well, their work? Well, I understood with Cone Mills. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't have anybody sit me down and say, you do this. I used to go to the different um seminars like Cotton Incorporated would have, you know, they should tell a story that these colors are in and then they would say this cotton is from this person, that person. So there was this designer who had gotten, they made the stuff that I'm telling you that I used to do for the uh, fabric companies. So I thought that I could get my designs out that way, but it wasn't. Maybe she had a team that could get it done better than I could. You know, I just didn't know how to do it. I've worked in the industry when you work for a corporation like Target or something, and you sign a thing that what you do is theirs, right. you know? So it used to annoy me, like, you know, my boss get credit for something I did, but I'm, okay with it now because I realized that the world copies everybody and um, I understood with the fabric companies, they're selling fabric. They're not trying to sell it. If they were going to invest in a designer, now it's different. Then they'll have a celebrity or they'll have a, a, a major designer, but that didn't exist then. So, um, I don't know if, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Uh, So what would you like to see, if anything, change about the fashion industry in regards to the way that, you know, Black designers are experiencing it? Well, I think in the last 
I would say in the last five years, the black designers have forged ahead by leaps and bounds. And um, during COVID, um, I mean, it was nice to be a part of the Black Design. It's nice to be a part of the Black Design Collective because then I mm-hmm. got a chance to see um, and we'd have meetings. They informed us on who's having a grant. Every organization, UPS, FedEx, Beyonce, everybody had. Now, it was up to the designer or the brand to apply and submit their self, su- submit things. But a lot of people out of COVID, a lot of people have gotten very successful. Even the CFDA um, embraced us. And when I say us, I mean people of color. Right. And if you look at the magazines now, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I was with Pat Cleveland and Alva Chin and all of them. And there were just, there was only two. I can't even think of her name. I have a picture of her uh, years ago. It was only one woman from Africa. I mean, the, that was dark chocolate color. Now, there's so many people of chocolate color. I mean, the brownest was Iman. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, or Beverly Johnson. But I feel, and I hope it stays that way. I don't know politically what the climate will be since they've taken so many things. They're trying to strip so many things like affirmative action and things like that from us. Uh, after this next election, I hope a lot of these people who are in good places don't get the rug pulled from under them because the powers, whoever's in power, would have the mm-hmm. power to, like, you know, stop some of them. But I just think there's a lot of creative, uh, young people of color, not only uh, African-Americans, but Caribbean-Americans and Africans that are just doing fantastic. I, when I started, I was still doing stuff, but I had to go behind the scenes. I had to be an assistant designer. And then when I saw what could stay was a, a the technical designer was secure, but they still try to get a, tell, tell me what to do. But I know how to make those garments fit. I know how to get those factories together. My mother taught me how to crochet when I was five. And I remember, and I had all these little books, and years ago, and the computer was new, I had to send a little sample to Asia on how, on what, on the steps on how to do it. Yes, my little bit in, in Madison, Virginia, Miss Gladys taught her daughter how to do a little crochet square. And I sent that. Now, unless I haven't been in Asia for 10 years, unless they've come up with something different, Crochet is a hand-done product. Knitting, I've gone to factories, there's knitting machines. To my knowledge, there is no crochet machines. There are machines that mimic crochet. But crochet, Mm -hmm. and I've been told by the owners, it's a cottage industry in Asia. Uh, um, The ladies sit around. And crochet, you crochet, she, she, you crochet the sleeves and somebody else is doing, uh, uh, the front and the back and they put it together and hand crochet can be very expensive. And I got to be on a foreign soil to learn that, that stuff. Well, I just have one last question for you. Is there any particular moment in your career that stands out? above the rest of them to you? Hmm. It could be any one job, any interaction. Being able to travel to overseas and work with them, that that was an eye-opener. And also having the skills to be able to be backstage with celebrities. 
because you know how to fix your stuff. I got a call of America's Got Talent. Uh, Heidi, was it? No, it was Mel B. She had a, a long leather dress with studs all over it. And she insisted that she wanted to wear it. And they didn't know anybody who knew how to do it. I didn't know I knew either. But I cut that leather dress off and everybody was like, ah. I had tools. I had, I don't even know how, what told me to have pliers and <laughs> things that would take studs out. Remember when studs were in mm-hmm. and glue? And she was happy. She got to wear her mini. And Audrey Weaver fixed it. And you was, she was up on NBC in that dress. So I felt kind of proud. And they were backstage saying, you want something done? Give it to her. Yes. <laughs> and well, with all that, it's still not union, but they figure out a way to make get you there. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Miss Audrey. I really enjoyed talking to you and learning more about your work and your career. I learned a lot more than I, I thought I knew, and I did some research. So thank you for enlightening me. And that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you loved what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms and on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you don't do any of that stuff, Make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.